0: Chumba Casino dot com. No Forward, by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation podcast. We are back. It's uh, it's been a couple weeks. We've got episode. What are we on? Four, five now? Five. Um, yeah, I think this is five, episode five, season five. I'm your host, Sam Snelling, with me as always, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are things in Indiana?
0: Uh, very wet, uh, but unlike St. Louis, we weren't run over by severe weather, so um, we're just a little soggy, but uh, no worse for the wear here.
1: The uh, North County region, which is where I'm residing, actually was able to avoid most of the really severe stuff. I think it kind of pushed south and, and, and north of us. So Yeah,
0: down there. Yeah, 10, got, they, gym, they
1: got think. brutalized a little bit. Um, so last we spoke, that was the bossy pod, right?
0: Was, uh, we we got was. a lot of
1: recruiting stuff out of the way. Um, we think Missouri is pretty much done with their class. Uh, as far as the freshmen are concerned, I'm sure... If there are any uh, postseason defections, they'll probably readdress, maybe look at some transfers. Um, Mark Mitchell is still out there. Um, I was alerted to a little bit of a rumor uh, that Missouri had maybe gained some ground um, in Mark Mitchell's recruitment. I would like to dispel those notions <laughs> right away, Um Matt, I know that, uh, that you and I have long sort of said that it, it seems likely that Duke and UCLA are the leaders. Um, after I, I was sort of notified that um, there was a rumor that Missouri had kind of you know taken in second place, uh, I asked around just in case. I don't like to be unprepared. And I was told that is uh, not correct. That is bad info. And Mitchell still looks like it is either uh, UCLA or Duke. Apparently, he was wowed on his, his tri- trip to Cameron. Uh, and, and is.
0: I'm stunned that he was, frankly. I mean, that, that's only kind of... Right, and, and like
1: one of the things is like, okay, so NIL is a big deal right now. Everybody's talking about NIL. So NIL is going to be a big deal for Mark Mitchell and his recruitment. Uh, and let's be honest here. like Who do you think is going to put together a better NIL package for Mark Mitchell? Uh, Duke, like arguably the greatest basketball program of the last thirty or forty years here. What thirty years? Thirty years. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll go thirty years. Arguably, um, the best program of the last thirty years, or UCLA, uh, arguably the greatest college basketball program of all time, uh, or Missouri, which. Uh, we we love uh Olmazoo. We are here for Olmazoo. We are podcasting about Olmazoo. Um not quite in that same stratosphere, Matthew. <laughs> uh, no, and
0: uh UCLA UCLA also happened to make I I would say they got actually an upgrade when Under Armour uh, bailed on like a 15-year apparel deal with them. And let UCLA get scooped up by Jordan Brand. So you can go to Hollywood where you have an older brother who kind of works in the entertainment industry, play for one of the greatest programs of all time on a really great campus, and for a program that's affiliated with arguably one of the biggest sports apparel brands in the world. I mean, and on a roster that, you know, seems like it's going to be set up well for the next couple of and years. And I will say, so,
1: uh, yeah, I will say, like, you know, know the. On the if you're looking at the comparison, like I do think that, um, that any NIL deal I think could probably be sweeter at Duke because of your your market, uh, and real realistically, like the UCLA market, LA is
0: is is huge, it's saturated, it's but, a yeah, down. it's
1: saturated. It's it's your where I mean, the Dodgers, the Lakers, the Clippers, um, the
0: Two NFL teams, well one and a half NFL teams. <laughs> yeah, the, the, teams, the um, let's
1: see, Rams, Chargers, Kings. Uh I missed a baseball team. Uh, a- uh the Angels. Um and then, and USC. then USC's, USC's up is there. Out there. Yeah, too. so it's it's competitive. Uh Duke is is a very much a national brand at this point. Um they are their fan the fans have spread far and wide and it's you know like you can call them fair weather or whatever um but you know there's fans in every city people have been you know fans of Dukes since they were kids um you know so you have that marketability uh you know obviously uh durham north carolina is is not exactly um uh, a huge metropolis but uh there are some you know good-sized cities in and you know in carolina and so uh, I think out of those places you're going to get a a a really sweet uh a package of of name image and likeness that I just don't think Missouri can compete with. Um maybe someday we we can, we can hope um, we need some big big uh name donors, Matt, to kind of step up and just start throwing money around.
0: Uh yeah, get, and let's, then also Let's let's no, put a
1: offer mark mitchell the um michael porter senior deal and, and see how that uh we just need like you know one of these uh um, are the lorries still still spending for the program
0: uh n- hmm. not as much no no um maybe don walsworth maybe mark can become the face of walsworth publishing maybe <laughs> you know <laughs> i like this binding it's the best you're gonna find um But, no, the Mitchell uh, ship seems to have sailed. Um, We didn't mention the last time, but Robert Jennings uh, last month, another guy that Missouri kind of had in on an official visit committed to Texas Tech. Not a surprise there. Um, They've basically lapsed recruiting Chandler uh, Jackson, who's the point guard out of Memphis who looks like he's set to – Sometimes well, he's,
1: he's down to uh, I think team. Ole Miss is still in it. I think Tennessee,
0: Tennessee, Florida State, like those those are the programs that still seem to be in it. Maybe
1: yeah, it, interesting to maybe, me but, that Um or Virginia. Well, did Tech, he Virginia say he Tech was Tech down to like Auburn and Missouri or something? And that, like and now I don't know.
0: Yeah, and then Kansas got in the mix, and there were some other programs that came in. After he jumped up in the composite and he pushed his timeline out, and it seemed like it, <laughs> it seemed like <laughs> then his you know, stock Missouri... went down in the composite,
1: no. and you know it th- thinned out a bench.
0: He's a top sixty. Pro- yeah, he's it's a top. He's still a top sixty prospect at this point, but I think Missouri made its ball handling choice with with uh, Christian Jones mm-hmm. uh, back in July. So, point is, the board is thinned out at this point, um, and we'll probably go into spring and see. Um, who are the three or four guys not in Missouri's rotation that maybe want to reboot somewhere else, and is there an opportunity for Missouri to go and try and maybe upgrade at some positions? um as always, we don't like to forecast before games have been played who they are, but I think in this market with the one time transfer rule, if you're not if you're a guy who's a sophomore or older and you're not in that top nine at this point maybe you start to look somewhere else and use your free move. So um, that's something to always keep an eye on is sort of how the rotation shakes out and, you know, what, how much, you know, sort of, you know, how big of a role the guys had over a couple of years and will he look to reboot somewhere else? But that would probably be the only way i'd expect missouri to maybe make a move.
1: well it sport. is uh interesting because you know we did get a little bit of a glimpse uh and we'll get into this in a little bit of uh what the potential rotation could look like this year um you know but we are okay so we are november 9th is is a uh a tuesday college basketball actually starts with the the saturday before or did I, just, did I just miscount my previews?
0: <laughs> I mean, I think as long as you're there by November 9, you're going to get Missouri done. Um, I can't remember when the Champions Classic is. Maybe it's before that a little bit, but it's it's slow through that first weekend. I don't think they open up on a weekend because they don't want to compete with college football. So maybe Monday might be the Champions Classic, and then uh, you move through on that, move into Tuesday, and things begin to open up a little bit. But, um, yeah, they two weeks. Is, is where we sit before uh, a completely gutted Central Michigan shows up to Mizzou Arena with Tony Barbie, and uh, we usher in the 2021-22 season.
1: Yeah, so we are we are in full on like like preview mode here, uh, and uh, I, we're not going to like talk about Central Michigan or or UMKC or anything. Um, at this point, I think there's uh there's still kind of time to get there um, you know but it is sort of like season preview we've had some exhibition action. Uh, I know that um,
0: they're no longer secret scrimmage
1: Well yeah so so Georgia who we've all thought is gonna are gonna be terrible um, played a like charity exhibition game. And lost to Charlotte by, I think, 8 or 10 points. Yeah. Uh, and Charlotte uh, is not a good basketball team.
0: Arkansas struggled with East Central. The mighty D2 power out of the Great American Conference this week.
1: East Central was 10-9 and nine last year, Matt. Um, so, interesting tidbit on that. So, yeah. So, Arkansas played in an exhibition game. Um, they played... There's like four of their five starters. I think like 26 or 28 minutes or something like that to make sure that they secured that win over over East Central uh, out of Oklahoma. Um, East Central features uh, two young men on their roster um, who are Crutchfields, and uh, Crutchfield was the coach last year, uh, who was the former Arkansas assistant under Eric Musselman. Uh, and he left to go coach his boys, has since taken a job at Oregon, <laughs> so he was only there for a year, uh, and who took over was a guy who I think was a GA for Arkansas when when Crutch and Mus were both there, uh, and he, yeah, he marched his, what are they, the, the Lions or something?
0: The, the Tigers. The
1: Tigers. I knew it was a cat. Um he marched the East Central Tigers into Bud Walton Arena and put a scare into the Hawks. Um so there was that result and then
0: LSU played an exhibition too, I think.
1: Alabama. Alabama played one. LSU
0: also LSU and Alabama both played exhibitions. So um I'm trying to remember the so-
1: Alabama score, but they won, but it wasn't by a
0: lot yeah we're in the time of year where everyone's overreacting and okay maybe not georgia because georgia's gonna be terrible but you, you um, should overreact to georgia <laughs> <laughs> man and they and they don't have pj horn which is almost even worse for them now um so we're in scr- secret clothes not secret scrimmage depending on how insane some coaches are about whether or not they want to actually um Divulge results. Uh, Missouri at least acknowledges in group photos that yes, we went to Emporia State and we played, we at game situations with Oklahoma State. And then on Saturday, they tweet out a picture of everyone from Creighton with everyone from Missouri and say, Great work today. We closed, we closed scrimmage Creighton. And uh, those, those scrimmages are sometimes different. Like sometimes you'll play full 40 minute games, but you may, go to six fouls you may set up certain in game situations you may re- to rep out you may
1: request that you know that they play a zone in in certain scenarios and
0: yeah um sometimes like if you're you may just go do basically like the equivalent of like an NFL like shared practice where you come in and you'll rep your sideline out of bounds situations your baseline out of bounds situations your zone offense you might face junk defenses you might want to put that you're down five with X amount of time on the clock. Can we execute in this situation? Um, it looks like based on any, some evidence that we have that Missouri went the full 40 with Creighton, but, um, nobody, no, nobody saw the context of what that game looked like. Um, outside of that, it ended in a 61 61 tie. Um, but that's one of those things too, where people will say, Oh, Creighton's like 53rd or something in Kimpom and Missouri's, you know 97 that's a great result for missouri and you're like well i guess but we didn't see how the game transpired and sort of what the game flow looks like in that kind of context but um it's preseason. people want to find as much information as they can and sort of you know reasons for optimism or pessimism at this point
1: yeah and so uh we did i guess catch a a glimpse um somebody had sent me a uh what appears to be the box score. And I almost like am hesitant to talk about it because it's really impossible to derive much other than it looks like, I know you'll be, everybody will be shocked by this, but Missouri didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, they really outscored uh, Creighton around the basket, which I would think is a good thing. Um, you know, but it's just like... Ugh. Like, I, I saw this and I'm like, I don't even know if I want to share it. I sent it to you. And I'm like, I,
0: I ran like <laughs> our box score thing on it just to like have like a top level sort of look at it. Cause you and like, even like I'm looking at the numbers right now and like I could loosely summarize kind of everything, but like Missouri shot 15.8% from three point range. Now, Um, it's leading shooters on the day from long distance were like supposedly Kobe Brown, Dejuan Gordon, and, uh, Jaron Coleman. If I were to pick three guys that I would be skeptical of having put up, uh, 12, three point attempts, those guys would be in that group. They went three of 12 from three point range. The rest of the team went one of six. Um, Yaya Keda went 0 of 3 from 3 point range so realistically there you have 3 of 15 from 4 guys who I wouldn't say are your prime shooters on this roster so but how did those shots come about were they in transition were they off screens were they kicked were they like I think you mentioned before were they guarded unguarded Um, just sort of what was the result of the action there like Missouri outscored Creighton supposedly 44-28 in the paint Um, how were those touches given you know how who was, you know what actions did they come off of you know creighton um outscored missouri by 12 from behind the arc 21 to 9 but almost 47 percent of creighton shots were three-point attempts um and they shot 24.1 percent though so creighton just outscored missouri based on sheer volume from deep but missouri offset that by outscoring them in the paint so like there's all kinds of stuff you can derive from that but without Watching, you know how those possessions unfolded. It's hard to really say, "Oh God, I'm like worried about X, Y, and Z of what this team's gonna do, um, and how that's gonna sort of operate from them." All we can really say is, when Missouri held onto the ball, they did a pretty good job scoring in the paint. Um, they had a their true shooting percentage was dragged down by poor jump shooting, and everything else was kind of a push. So. It's really hard to... And it
1: also should be pointed out, and this is all assuming that the stats are accurate. <laughs> because, uh, you know, like, it's it's possible that they don't have, like, an official score there. Maybe it's a GA just kind of keeping track. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of assumptions being made here. So it's... it's it is, it it is like, it is interesting. It says that, you know, the biggest lead, Mizzou had a, at one point a 13-point lead. Uh, the best scoring run, uh, both teams went on eight oh runs at some point. Um, six lead changes, five times tied. Mizzou spent 27 minutes of uh, clock time in the lead. Creighton spent 8 minutes and 36 seconds. To me, this like, this sounds a lot like, you know, a,
0: the Oregon game. Last yeah, year. like it's... Which was also, coincidentally enough, in Omaha. Um, no, it's to me, the real value here is probably the film that the coaches bring back.
1: Yeah, like, exactly.
0: Like, this is what we did. Well, this was, you know, situations where we could have played better. You know, like it's, it's the film and like having the stats helps. Cause you have like a loose guide for how guys performed, but the film is what matters here. And, you know, if we see the box score, like cool, but <laughs> the value here is the film. And, and, no one uh at least that i know of in the missouri program is like sending me Dropbox folders with you know you know some poor ga trying to track the action from left to right and letting us watch stuff so um and it's not stuff that's even getting like tagged and uploaded into synergy but you're, you're even doing that like you're at least trying to be somewhat accurate and you're tagging us stuff so i would be um, you
1: know very open if anybody listening actually has the game film they want to send it to us i would be open to watching it
0: I would love to watch it. I would, I would, I'd get a kick out of it because to me, like the biggest value of this sheet of this piece of paper is like, I told you this and I sent you a screen grab of it is like the minutes played is the number of minutes guys played their usage on offense. Like their plus minus and their points per possession. Like what was the rotation? What were guys usage when they were on the floor and just kind of, broadly how efficient were they like that's really all I draw from it like so we can get into that a little bit I mean I've run those numbers but that that's all I really care about and we can or we can talk about kind of just how the rotation sets up but like the nitty-gritty numbers of true shooting and three-point shoot all that stuff is almost secondary to the high level of how much the guys play how much of the offense was routed through them and how efficient were they with their touches like that's about as that's as much as I wanted to glean from the box score as anything.
1: I think I was probably the most interested in um, and who was playing the most. Um, yeah, and I, I I know that like one of the things I think we've learned about you know Conzo at this point is he does. He like he's open to playing a large number of guys and and sort of riding with somebody who may be playing better and giving them more time. Um, it kind of seems like. The guy that was the beneficiary of that was Javon Pickett. Um, yeah. You know, Pickett played the most minutes of anybody. Uh, and honestly, like, you know, I'm not saying that that's going to be like he's going to be the the stalwart. But you know, when it comes to this sort of situation, and even you know, Martin talked about it in his presser today. He talked about how. Of all the guys on the roster, Javon is the guy who is who is sort of most ready to go because, like, he's he's been through these battles before. He knows what to expect. Uh, he knows how to get himself ready. And there's, you know, like a whole group of freshmen who have never done it at the, co- the collegiate level. Uh, there's all these transfers who have done it at the college level, but, you know, they're, they're stepping into a high major level. Uh, so really, you're kind of looking at... Um, you're looking at Kobe Brown, you're looking at Javon Pickett, and DeShawn Gordon as the three guys who have, who have prepared to play at this level, before, uh, and everybody else is is still kind of learning how to do that. Um, yeah. So it did. And you
0: can see why. And you can see why Pickett played a lot. Like he played the according to this stat sheet, he played thirty minutes, scored twelve points, yanked down eight rebounds, and dished out six assists. But what's really impressive about that is he scored twelve points on fourteen percent usage. And only had eight possessions, and so one and a half points per possession. So when the ball was coming to picket, it, it was in advantageous scoring positions, and he converted. But he was doing other stuff, getting on the glass, especially defensively. I think he had like all of his rebounds were defensive rebounds. So he's hitting the defensive glass. He's got six assists, so he's moving the ball. And when he's getting the and when he's getting his offensive touches, they're in advantageous situations that he can execute that's a guy that if you're gonna get 12 eight and six out of him off 14 percent usage and he's you know rebounding at your guard spot which this team needs because it maybe doesn't have as much traditional size yeah you're gonna roll with that guy for 30 minutes so that's other than our
1: man that's, Jordan that's, Wilmore
0: hey Jordan got um 12 minutes granted um four of them were after he picked up that fifth foul um so but then like to contrast that like again we're not gonna <laughs> read too much but like Kobe Brown played supposedly 25 minutes had I'm not I want to double check this but 34.5% usage and .78 points per possession like Kobe Brown needed I think 12 shots to score 13 points and only grabbed 2 rebounds dished out 1 assist went 1 of 5 from 3 um, and had 3 turnovers so like if you look at the raw minutes there, like again, it would help having film. But if you looked over the box score and looked at that usage, you would say, okay, Kobe got to 13, but his plus minus was eight. So was Kobe on the floor, you know, giving you plus his plus minus was negative eight. It was negative eight. So meanwhile, our guy, uh,
1: Ryan gray had a plus 12.
0: Yeah. But Ryan agree again, like six points on five field goal percentages, but the guy got on the glass, you know, Degray got the, his twelve points on sixteen percent usage. Like, so it seems like what we're drawing out here is that Missouri's he, that he's like... Bigger
1: tur- he's bigger
0: Javon. <laughs> <laughs> he's bigger Javon,
1: and it's like that's bigger. like what I've been calling him since they got him. Like he's he's bigger Javon Pickett.
0: Yeah, but then you like see a guy like Amari Davis played twenty minutes, ten percent usage, minus four in the plus minus. Really only got four possessions, scored four points, like just. Now, ball didn't really come his way a lot, but, like, you look at the numbers and stuff here. Like, the guys who played the most minutes were Pickett, Kobe Brown, Jerron Coleman, and Dejuan Gordon. The plus-minus for Pickett was four, plus-minus for Kobe Brown, minus eight, Jerron Coleman, minus three, Dejuan Gordon, three. So what you really do is you go look at, you know, your two guys here, Coleman, who we thought was maybe going to be a ball handler for this team, didn't have a real efficient day. Kobe Brown didn't have a real efficient day, but those were sort of the four guys that Zoe rolled with, and his f- his fifth and sixth guys were Davis and DeGray. Like, there was not a freshman in the top six. Yeah, Brookshire so, played
1: about, you know, 16 minutes. Uh, Yaya played 17. 17. And it, it kind of looks like those are going to be the guys that are going to be in the rotation with, uh, with Dura Gordon, uh, Caleb. And
0: Caleb at the at the back
1: and uh at least and i and like and brazil didn't play uh yeah so
0: but he did play in the oklahoma states yeah he he
1: did and he he was there and (coughs) we've talked about in the past about the possibility of him being a redshirt guy um if you've been listening to the pod i don't know since brazil committed way back last year in September. Uh, I mean you know that like this is this is a bit of a unique situation. He's a kid who sprouted up late and his body is still developing. Uh but he's got like all potential in the world to be uh, and I I don't hesitate to sort of say it, but I think he's got the potential to be an NBA player. Um you know because I and I don't want to say like I mean he's not a guy who I think is going to be an NBA all-star, but I mean you look at his size, his uh, his ranginess, uh, the fact that he has a workable jump shot, and I think he can turn him into a, a three and D guy who can play, you know, five to ten years in the league if if the if if he develops. Um, but it, it is entirely possible that they give him a year of not worrying about competition. Uh, this isn't a year that I think you know Martin is super uh, worried about you know, winning the sec or anything like that. Uh, and so if you give that guy a year to develop and you bring in next year with him and Aiden Shaw, um, you know, that like that could be a monstrous defensive team next year. And, uh, yeah. and especially if you're giving some other guys opportunities to really kind of develop. And, um, the, the thing that I'm kind of curious is, uh, is what you would see from Dura Gordon, what you would see from, you know, Caleb Brown, uh, I am a little surprised uh, that it looks like Wilmore is going to be as much a part of the rotation, because from what we saw from the last year, I, did, I didn't I did think Wilmore... he's
0: down 70 pounds, so... Right, yeah. So,
1: <laughs> I'm, like, he's a guy, like, I've I've gone from, like, kind of thinking, all right, this is a guy who's probably going to transfer at the end of the year, to a guy, but, like, I'm, I I kind of want to see him play. I want Like, I want to see the difference in how he's going to move when he's... he's uh, supposedly put the effort in the weight room
0: well I, the we can segue into what martin was saying today about the rotation but nothing that when i look at the minutes here really surprises me if you look at the top five in minutes it's pickett kobe brown jerron coleman Dejon gordon Mari davis bunch of vets not surprised about that at all and then you know to me the question was where was de going to work in here but i thought Kaden and brookshire were going to be two freshmen that worked in um, So if it's Gray right now and you're going to let Brazil sort of, you know, develop for a year, I guess, and then you'll use Wilmore as sort of that spot big, you're at eight to nine right there, pretty much. So it, it really is going to be nothing when I look at kind of the overall usage here and, you know, minutes played jumps out of me. I think what's going to be more interesting and what's going to be really worthwhile in the first three to four games is to really watch how Martin mixes and matches his combinations. I'm, You know me, I track all the rotations and the lineups, but I think that's going to be really, really interesting and why I've sort of held off really sort of trying to project anything or write very much because I want to watch this roster play three or four games and then go, okay, this is sort of, these are the rotations that Martin's trying and here's the ideas behind them and here's what they're trying to do with those rotations. But if you were to look at just a raw pecking order, none of what, you know, you sort of see, again from off this one piece of paper really surprises me all that much uh, as to how it breaks down
1: so uh i attended the um the press conference today and uh, you know there was uh, there was a lot of discussion um over and, and so the press conference today was it was not in person it was over zoom it allows uh my work from home ass to <laughs> be able to, uh, you know, carve out 20 minutes of my, my schedule and, and, and pull up a zoom link. Um, but there was a lot of discussion over, you know, rotations and sort of the, you know, the way, cause you know, one of the things that I think has sort of been a theme early on the season of Martin and his press conferences is, is he keeps kind of referring to, to Kobe Brown as like a point guard. Um, And so i was like i was intrigued by him using that that term i know like a lot of us sort of overstate the terminology of saying you know point guard or uh yeah like all this different stuff and like what it means um as we move into the quote unquote positionless uh style of basketball um you know, but if Kobe Brown is initiating offense with a, a you know like a six nine guy on him, then like I don't have a problem with that. Uh, if he's trying to bring the ball up against like a six two, you know guard, th- that's probably not the best matchup. Um, you know, and so I think Missouri is is probably going to be taking an approach of uh, you know point guard by committee this year. They're not really going to have one guy who's going to handle the ball. They're going to have a you know whoever has the best matchup. Uh, and if you're you're getting out and you're attacking early in the clock, uh, then it's you're going to have probably three, four or five guys on the floor at any given time who can take the ball and go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to look at what Brown's most efficient touches are, it's still him cutting and it's still him getting on the glass. I think the. But the hard part here is, you know, I think over the last two years, we've seen kind of if you even look at things that like sort of measure XG or expected shot outcomes and like how that impacts like spacing on the floor. Like I'm looking at one right now from shot quality, Kobe Brown's in the 21st percentile nationally. That's not good. So like if you have Kobe, who's not really affecting the game as a floor spacer, but he's, you know, in the 75th percentile in terms of offensive rebounding and putbacks and he's really sort of middling at rim efficiency at forty six percent. Are there ways you can sort of isolate him like we're talking about in matchups that are favorable where he can take a six nine big and drive and when he's at the rim, it's not being met by ar by you know by a longer defender it's being met by a guard rotating. Is that a matchup that's sort of advantageous there so like if you're gonna you know run do you have him initiating in a pick and roll and getting a switch out and sort of stuff like that or a pitch back and driving against a, a big that might be it but if you're talking about is he coming up and initiating a high ball screen with you know Kada or Wilmore or DeGray I'm not sure what that kind of offense looks like so again I'm sort of like want to watch him. I read what, yeah and so I think You know, when Konzo talks about, you know, we have four guys handling. Is it situational based on lineups? Like, you know, last year it was clear you wanted Drew and and Xavier Benson to handle. And a lot of their actions. Missouri would change some of the action they ran based on who was on the floor and operating as the main ball handler. But you knew who the two guys were who were going to initiate. I'm sort of curious this year, like if Amari Davis gets it. Amari Davis playing out of ball screens, ball handlers I wrote about is great when he gets it kind of coming off a rocket ball screen and gets to turn the corner, you know, into the slot and he can pull up or he can hit sort of a guy in the short corner if his defender steps up. Is that the sort of action where Amari Davis is acting as a handler versus Jaron Coleman who can probably play more in straight high pick and rolls or spread pick and rolls? Like, so that's, that's sort of what I'm interested in. I think a lot of people are saying, you know, might react, oh God, they have four point guards. To me, the question is do they have what's the lineup and then what sort of actions are we going to see initiated there? And that's obvious, but again, that's why we got to see this team play and, and sort of watch how things filter out. And
1: it's also like, you know, what actually led me to kind of, you know, chime in and ask him the question. Um, So, I I mean, the, the question that I asked him is, you know, like, I feel like the, the coaching staff has done a pretty good job of, of adjusting their offensive approaches based on what talent they have available. Uh, you know they brought in cornell Mann who could help sort of in, implement this uh you know Iowa State offense when michael porter junior was coming in you know like more of a, a you know a guy at the at the you know combo forward spot who can really you know play through that guy a lot uh into jonte when you know jonte was going to be initiating some offense through the through his you know if you want to call that you know the the combo forward spot uh and then Kind of sticking with that offense finding it wasn't working and then moving into um you know a, like a ball screen offense because the the offense itself um you know without Jonte, and then at first part was was well run and it generated the kind of shots it was supposed to generate the problem is missouri didn't have the the talent capable of, of making the available shots um and so they pivoted. They went to the, the Barcelona ball screen, you know, continuity kind of offense. And, uh, and so I, I was just sort of curious if they were going to adapt that, uh, you know, because they don't have, uh, you know, Drew Smith and, and Xavier Pinson on the roster anymore. The reason that, that it, it made sense going to that is because you had two guys who were really good at running off ball screens. Um, with some, you know, debate warranted on how good Xavier Pinson actually was with it. Uh, you know, but you had, you know, two guards who could really handle the ball and, and, and and in general, make good decisions on, on ball screens. And you had a, a, a post who was exceptional at, at sitting a screen and diving at the rim.
0: Yeah.
1: So it made a lot of sense. And now you don't have that roster. Uh, and so like this is one of the reasons why I'm like I'm just so fascinated by what they're going to do with this roster is is how do all those offensive approaches and how do the um you know how do they apply the personnel within a style that was really kind of meant for one thing and now it's going to do something else so uh you know and and he I thought it was interesting because he basically said that they were going to stick with Barcelona like they they liked that they like what they get out of it. They like that, you know, they can put the ball in different guys' hands. And, and, uh, and he, I think he thinks that they've got, you know, the guys around them that can make the kind of shots. So we'll see.
0: I think that's, and, and you and I have talked about it the last two days. I, I'm more skeptical on the floor spacers that they have for this offense. Um, I just, you know, I'm, Like, if you're going to talk about Kobe Brown being a guy who needs to take a step forward, the jump shooting has to get there. But Kobe's, no matter how you look at it, whether it's traditional stats, analytic stats, you break down shot charts, you look on film, largely the same kind of floor space where he was as a freshman during his sophomore season. It doesn't always hold, but by and large, the biggest gains in shooting we see come during a sophomore year. There's actually a slight regression as a junior because usually... Defenses account for you more. So you have more contested jumpers and then you kind of settle out guys who've typically like never seen that jump are what they are as shooters. So if you're saying, okay, we need Kobe to get from 25% to 32%. Again, outliers exist. I'm not, you know, speaking ill of Kobe or the work that he puts in the gym. I'm just saying the body of evidence tells us that's a big jump for a guy to make, you know, same with Dejuan Gordon, a guy who was a 31, 32% shooter as a freshman, regressed, that happens, but usually bounce back years, only bounce back to what they were prior. So you're bouncing back to a 31% jump shooter from three. So you've got a 25% shooter, a 31% shooter. Amari Davis is a guy who's got to show that his volume and his accuracy can get better. And Jerron Coleman shot the ball better at the end of last year, but... From everyone I talked to, and from the film I watched, and from the numbers I looked at, the question for him is were the final seven or eight games for Ball State a breakthrough, or did he just get on a heater and he's really closer to a 29 or 30% shooter? Because now you've got four guys in this offense who are going to probably play major roles, and the best one's probably a 31% three point shooter. The spacing is going to get hard in this offense, and you talk about the pick and roll situation you know, Jeremiah Tillman was probably, you know, Colin Castleton and him were basically a runoff for all sec at center last year. And, you know, now you have a freshman in Yaya Katie, you got Wilmore, you maybe have Brazil in that role. You're, you're going to see a step back there and you don't even have a, like if things got really tough, you could just dump the ball in on an early entry post up to Tilly and he could go to work. Do you even have that as a safety valve? So, I think that's what I'm interested in is just you know for this to work this the floor spacing has to be there. So ball handling is one issue and they can kind of as we mentioned earlier they can kind of tweak who's handling based on lineup and set but overall the shooting across the lineup has to get better. Cuz last year Missouri was not a good shooting team from deep and in terms of floor spacing that creates issues. So Again, that's sort of the other thing I'm looking at as we move forward. Here is, does the the offense works best when you've got lanes open and you can't stunt and you've got some operating room in the middle of the floor? That's harder if this person if this team can't shoot.
1: So we've definitely got uh, a little bit to go on at this point, but not a lot. Um, with, I think the basically our our plan will be. Um, Record again next week. Uh, do a little bit more of a preview. Uh, maybe we'll have a guest on. Uh, who knows? You never know what's going to happen, Matt. You never know. Um, but I, I think as we move into the season, it's it's just going to be really interesting to see how everything sort of plays out. Missouri has not gifted themselves a very easy setup. We've talked about it before. The, you know, the non-conference schedule is...
0: Not not easy. It's
1: not easy. Um, In order for them to, uh, you know, set themselves up for, uh, you know, a potential NCAA tournament look, uh, they can't lose any of the the toss-up games. I mean, they have to beat uh, Utah. They they have to beat Wichita State. State. They have to beat Liberty. Liberty. I think you can lose to Illinois and you can lose to KU and, and
0: you got to probably beat SMU.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you have to probably, you, you have to win at least one game in Jacksonville. Um, so, so like, the, yeah, this team is just, it's so interesting and, you know, maybe I'm finding way more interest in it because we've been watching, uh, you know, so much of the same thing over the last two, three years that, it's nice to have something that, that is new, and this team is very new.
0: It is. I, I think, you know, there's there's always going to, and we talk about it seemingly every pod, there's going to be a contingent that's not going to be happy with the outcomes this year. Um, I think I had, before they added Paul Quinn to the schedule, I had Missouri at 14 and 16 overall, 7 and 11. Uh, adding Paul Quinn College and an IA opponent probably gets them to 15 and 16, but for all intents and purposes, that. Does not matter. Um, but it's what this team looks like in putting together and putting that together. You know, are they barely eking out wins over you know teams like Central Michigan, UMKC, Northern Illinois? Are they scratching and clawing their way to fourteen wins, or are they playing really well against the teams they should beat, flipping a few results, and then just you know they need seasoning if they're gonna you know pick up four or five more quality wins. You know, against those teams in the middle of the SEC that are going to allow him to contend. It, it's going to be what this team looks like. And I think, you know, we talk about Zoe's future and he's safe this year. You know, every re- bit of reporting seems to indicate that. But this is a year that I think really goes a long way in determining what the you know thermostat is going into year six and what sort of perceptions are here. If this team... You know, you and I have, you know, you wrote in the preview that, you know, Conzo Martin tends to set a baseline and when his teams don't have bad injury luck, there are, it's probably seven wins. If this team, you know, goes six and six in the non-con and goes, or goes seven and six in non-con and five and 13 in SEC play, you know, I think you're going to, next year's going to be sort of interesting. But everyone right now sort of looking ahead and, and sort of, Prejudging what the, you know, prejudging and the impact of this season, you know, I think you're carrying your own biases into it. So I'm just excited to see what, you know, Zoe's excited about, what this roster is, so we can have some objective sort of, you know, data to look at and evaluate. Um, but the non con schedule after the first three games is uh, that there's not many points of forgiving outside of Paul Quinn and Eastern Illinois from about november through you know i'd even say through like mid-january there there's some it's going to be tough and they're going to have to that stretch of when they go to jacksonville um and when they come home to face wichita state and then they go to liberty that those two that you know that kind of week-long stretch there is going to be really really important for them in terms of Setting up, you know, whether or not this is a team that can even begin to think about the bubble or a postseason bid.
1: Yeah, so uh the, the last thing that I think we can kind of touch on real quick is is you know, Ken Pomeroy did release his um his preseason rankings since the last time we recorded. Thankfully, uh I want to thank Ken personally. We've had uh he's a friend of the pod. Um so I'm gonna personally thank him for uh, releasing those before my previews uh started going out. Most of the time I feel like he they they come out and like my previews are like three or four teams in. And we have to kind of do a bunch of editing. Um but we've been able to run with the preseason rankings the whole time and he has Missouri uh ninety-sixth.
0: Yeah, 13th in the SEC.
1: So I completely buy that Missouri will have a not great offense. In fact, so Ken Palm's projections were their adjust efficiency would be about 98th. And uh, but where I'm going to sort of have an issue is I really don't think Missouri is going to field the worst defensive basketball team that Consa Martin has had at Missouri. Uh, and I, I think like. Again, like this is why. As you know, I'm a big, big analytics person. Uh, I use them a lot, but it, it, it's how you apply them. And one thing to keep in mind is Ken Pomeroy's ratings are not Ken, Pom, Ken or Ken Pomeroy making these assertions himself. He has an algorithm that he's built, uh, and the algorithm puts all these factors into play and, and spits something out. And that's what he publishes. Uh, he, he doesn't weigh things personally. Uh, It's it's an algorithm. It's the same thing with 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 Bill, like people get mad at Bill for Bill's algorithm. (laughs) So so I think that Missouri, uh, if there's there's one area where I think this team can really be pretty good is is on the defensive end, Uh, mainly because I think that they've got. uh, They've got guys who have good length. Uh, They are fairly. Uh, big throughout every position uh i mean outside of wilmore they don't really have a true center um you know but they have like you know we've kind of joked about you know the the dream of konzo starting like six seven guys yeah like like one through five like that's that's just the the starting lineup is is all that and uh and he's close to that and it's not exactly that but you know it's going to be like you know six two six three six four uh six eight, six nine, and and that's gonna be a lot of their lines. And that's a lot of length. Uh and I think this is gonna be a good defensive team.
0: Uh yeah. Um it's if you look at sort of Missouri's got the widest range of outcomes so far. If you look at, you know, media polls, bloggers, preseason mags, analytics. Like Missouri, I think out of aside from like Auburn, Auburn and Missouri have the two widest ranges of where they could finish you know some have them as high as ninth, some have them as low as 13th usually it comes out around 10 or 11th so it's if you're doing that you're and you're in Ken Pom, you're probably going to be in the 70s or 80s and if the offense is you know as bad as or as sort of you know mediocre in the high high major sense the defense is gonna have to be pretty good to get them there so that's we'll see um the other thing to say is You know, Ken Palm last year talked about how the impact of not having non con games skewed the rankings a little bit. We didn't have sort of the data that we normally did. So the algorithm wasn't quite as filled as it normally is. That data is still in there and it still kind of informs the preseason rankings and it's going to filter out. So what we have, the 2020 season was weird in a lot of ways, but the impact is still felt in the sense that like Ken Palm's ratings are based his preseason ratings are based in some part off of that old data and it won't filter out until December. So who knows, maybe Missouri in an, like we'd had a normal year, a year last season, maybe they would have wound up like it, with enough possessions to where they were project as 10th or 11th in Kim Palm. But because of how the season played out last year, their data profile was closer to 13th. So just as always, um, Take kind of kimpon with a grain of salt till we get nine or ten games into the season, and all the old data is filtered out, and there's enough possessions to sort of judge a team for what it is in the current season. So that's my uh, wonky spiel.
1: Don't don't be uh, Jesse Newell, kids.
0: Understand what goes into your <laughs> analytic rankings. Know what's going in your rankings, kids. It's like Halloween candy. You don't know what's in like. Read the package. Yeah. Know what's going in there. Know what's going in your analytic rankings and understand how they get made.
1: So uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Unfortunately, it was a bye week uh, for football, which means you got less rock M nation podcasting Um, BK and and Nate have been doing a a bang up job uh, this season, uh, talking an awful lot about a team with a terrible, terrible defense uh, but some good recruiting things have happened, and so that's good. And so if you are only tuned in uh, to and Nation podcast for dive cuts, I would implore you as a good Missouri fan to listen to Nate and BK on Before the Box Score. Uh, they will be back in a couple days with a new podcast, uh, looking at the uh, the big, big Vanderbilt game, Matt, big time. There are like five power conference teams who have not beaten another power conference team, and two of them are facing off this weekend uh, in Nashville as the Missouri Tigers take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, what do you think? Think Missouri's going to pull it off?
0: Yeah, I'll give it to him. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to choose optimism.
1: <laughs> For once, we've we've done it, folks. We've done it. Matt is going to be optimistic about uh about missouri sports um so we'll be back next week and it is it is officially like basketball season uh the nba is on if you have league pass it's it's got to be rocking um you want to try and find a guest for next week
0: yeah sure we should probably talk about what the overall all gonna look like everyone knows we hate george's roster but that's for the rest of the league george is gonna
1: suck um, actually, I think my favorite thing, uh, so I always try to rewrite, um, all my tweets. Uh, so today, uh, Ole Miss was, was published and I think I basically said, yeah, it's the Ole Miss preview. They're okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about Ole Miss. Like, uh, you know, like it is what it is. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about some SSC next week. Uh, what uh, maybe people can expect from this upcoming season. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in.